we acknowledge the original owners of the land on which we podcast, whose stories were told for thousands of years. Today, we are recording in Mianjin. We pay our respects to elders past and present who may be listening. Sovereignty was never ceded. A quick note before we get started that there may be some swearing in today's podcast. If you don't like swearing or usually listen with children in the car, you have been warned. You're listening to What in the NDIS, The News, a podcast where I, Hannah Redford, and my friend, Sam Rosenbaum, discuss all the hot topics out of the NDIS. Hey, Sam, how are you going? Yeah, good, thanks, Hannah. How about yourself? I have joined the glasses wearing club. I have to now ah, wear glasses well, welcome. all the time. <laughs> welcome. It's a, it's a fantastic club. We have jackets. <laughs> Uh, I'll, I'll oh, get them sent out to you. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I, w- I would love a jacket. Yeah, although we're, we're sort of going out of jacket weather. It's been quite sunny outside lately. It's been fantastic. Oh, yeah. It's it's so hot up here in Mianjin at the moment. Yeah, and EDO. Jumped in the pool this morning. It was fabulous. Um, but, yeah, we've got a uh, great little news updates podcast for everyone today. Got a couple of topics to cover, and the big one is the Disability Royal Commission. Yeah, I'm I'm really excited to to start talking about this. Now, the what they handed down was massive and over a number of volumes. <laughs> 12 volumes to be exact, and then there was 222 recommendations made, um as well as being uh being almost uh 10,000 people have contri- almost 10,000 people, sorry, have almost uh, have been contributed to the uh, report and through public and private uh, sessions. So that's a great amount of people that have sort of given their voice, uh, which was a big aspect of and li- and the rest of Australia to listen and, and what's going to be coming out. So yeah, but the uh, 12 volumes, uh, so something like 4 million odd words and, and a lot of pages to read. And I will admit, I haven't read them all. A lot to chew through, but there is some um, really interesting things that are coming out of it. Yeah. So I didn't go and read the full report. I know this. Well, you'd, be... you'd still probably be reading it. That I know, like if you'd started end to end, it would it would take quite a number of weeks to to get through, even with considerable constant reading. So it's a, a lot to chew through, but that's to be expected for a a four year run and the amount of people that have contributed, the amount of um, stuff that's come out of it already, and also find out how the government responds to and how the rest of Australia responds to it as well will be interesting to see. Um, but I, I thought I'd um give a bit of a rundown on what the 12 volumes are. I'm not going into too much depth because <laughs> there's a lot there to chew through. But volume one starts off with the executive summary, learning the vision for an inclusive Australia and the recommendations. So it's a bit of a cheat sheet for those that sort of want a one-stop shop. Sort of that's the, your starting point. And then you can go from there. Volume one goes into the voices of people with disability. So what we've heard. Volume two is about the Royal Commission. So what was set up, the need, what's its founding principles were. Three was the nature and the extent of violence, abuse, neglect, and exploitation of people with a disability. And we heard some really um, confronting stories by people and, and of their lived experience. And unfortunately, some highlighting some 
fairly big need for change, systemic change through the way providers and the government interact with people with disabilities and go out and make sure that they're protected and not going through some of the horrendous sort of treatment that they have. Volume four, uh, realizing human rights of people with a disability. And that's got some cool recommendations. So one of the recommendations is that the Australian government uh, establishes a Disability Rights Act. And that is to embed the international human rights set out in the Convention for the Rights of a Person with a Disability into enforceable domestic Australian law. So that's where um, you hear a lot of uh, we, we follow or uphold the rights of people with a disability, but there's not other than the UN Convention. We've got legislation that supports it, but nothing that embeds or enshrines those, the Charter, into our Australian law and makes it enforceable. Which but really we should a... have, like if we're a signatory to yeah. that, then yeah, the second 100%. step, first step is signing, yes, we want to be a party to this. Then second step is enshrining that into law, surely. That m- doesn't make much sense to me, Sam. <laughs> Explain it to me. Yeah. Um, bureaucracy, <laughs> I think, is is probably the summary of that one. But, the, yeah, the interesting thing is some of the commissioners have sort of indicated that it should just sort of apply to uh, the Australian Public Service to start off with or whether or not private sector should be included in at the starting point. So what that actually means, because uh, you've got a puzzled, a puzzled look <laughs> on your face there, so I'll sort of explain that a little bit more. Part of the, uh, some elements are saying that it should just be private sector for four or five years to see how it implements and that. There is arguments though for it to be extended to the private sector, so NDIS providers straight off the bat. And since we're meant to be meeting that as a standard to do with the uh, NDIS practice standards anyway, we should just be included. Right. That seems logical If we're following what we preach and what we're saying we do, it shouldn't come in as a big shock or a big surprise that this needs to be legally enforced. And if you follow the trail of the NDIS Act has this requirement as it's a practice standard requirement, then it's still technically an element of legislation for registered providers. So it's probably more uh, non-registered providers and other Australian private businesses to look at how they uphold the rights of people with disabilities and how they engage and interact and include people with disabilities in their day-to-day operations. That's how you employ, how you engage with, especially when you look at some of the stuff coming out of airlines recently, some of their, I can't remember his name, but a a big surgeon we've got up here in Queensland, he had an incident where ground staff were manoeuvring his wheelchair in a way that wasn't consistent with the needs or listening to him or his supports on how to best maneuver it. And he ended up with um, having an incident there. Uh, So there's clearly lots of work that the general Australian public needs to do to include and support people with disabilities and listen to them a lot more than what we're currently at. And that, that will be the big, big step that all of this needs to happen because it's one thing for government to try and put these practices in place. But if the rest of Australia is not following suit or listening to these recommendations, then unfortunately it won't succeed 100% or in the way that we really need it to 
but yeah, so I hope, well, I, I'm an advocate for it to be included in public sector, uh, private sector, sorry, because it's a bit of a no-brainer there. But we'll see what happens. Volume five is governing for inclusion. So that's how the government needs to respond more appropriately and put policy, public policy in place and the long-term sort of overarching guidance that they can give the wider Australia public and private sector on how we can improve as, as a whole. Enabling autonomy and access uh, is volume six. Volume seven is inclusive education, employment and housing. So this is a big one for me. Education is a changing scope. There's conversations and arguments around the long-term need for special schools and whether or not they should be continued, whether they should be rolled out. I see pros and cons on each side of that argument. And it still both scares me because sometimes I see private uh, special schools don't fulfill the need either unfortunately, in some like some very extreme cases. But if the special court schools aren't meeting the end-to-end need, then there's lots of things, lots of prog- progression that we need to make in that area uh, one way or another. And ha- inclusivity is a big thing for me. So it'd be interesting to see how they respond with that. Employment is another one, big one, and housing options. I think at the moment education in Australia is failing people with kids with disabilities and whether they're at special schools or in the mainstream it doesn't seem to matter they're being failed and you know I see that even with my kids they are definitely being failed by the education system but I don't see that getting rid of special schools as necessarily a good thing because one of the things that, you know, I see a special school providing is a place for the the people at the really high needs section where your mainstream school just is, is just never going to be out. Like no matter what we do to mainstream schools, we... There's just no way to include, I don't think there's a way to include the really high needs kids because there's just so many things that they need that is beyond like the average teacher. The average teacher does need better education for starters at university. I wholeheartedly think that. Um, I think they've got enough to do during a school day without adding to that. So they'd really have to give a really good explanation of how you would have those really high needs kids included in mainstream school for me to be able to understand how that would work. Because the other way that it sometimes has gone is you've had on the other side of the school far away from any other buildings is the special education building and those kids have been excluded anyway in a ma- within a mainstream school. And then you've got the added issue of bullying because no one is spending time teaching the rest of the kids what is actually awesome about these kids with disabilities and then the bullying is is what gets them mm. in a mainstream school. So yeah, I'm I'm really interested to to see what people say 
and some of the ideas people come up with because absolutely like you you know I'm I'm not totally and utterly against it I would just need to I need a lot of convincing yeah, there needs I guess. to be <laughs> systematic reform mm. across the board within mainstream educational facilities training and long-term in- inclusion and exposure for mainstream kids around people with a disability and having that sort of immediate early like early exposure Mm. to disabilities Mm. because it's not in grade one two three it's not high prevalence that you see disabilities in a classroom so it needs to be how we engage children on a general level to engage with people with disabilities needs to change because I also see a lot of adults still not able to do that well currently. Yeah, ab- absolutely. Um, What's next? <laughs> yeah, so then, um, so yeah, it was employment and housing were also uh, another part of that inclusive element. Employment is another one I've recently um, had the opportunity of employing a person with a disability in, in my business, which is fantastic. And he brings a great amount of um uh, knowledge and depth and insight to the team. He's also studying a master, his master's in law and business accounting. So he's a great fit in, in, in the business and helping out a great deal, which is awesome. Volume eight, criminal justice and people with a disability. Another big one. And <laughs> uh, our, uh, one of our favorites, Trady. Yes. Um, he's very passionate about this as well. And, and it, it's great, great to see that we're working towards it because there's been a lot in the media very recently about how our prison and justice system are failing people with disabilities at unmeasured, like astronomical levels. It It's gut-wrenching. There's deaths of people with a disability in these systems and, it, and it's horrible and the system needs to change to better support it. I haven't gotten into this one yet, but yeah. It, one of the difficulties I've identified previously when it comes to the prison system is that or the justice system is that they don't identify early enough that someone has a disability Mm. and this particularly I find happens when say they don't have any family and they might have a provider involved but you know, sometimes if you are arrested and taken by the police and then whatever, the provider doesn't know, suddenly doesn't know where you are and where you've gone and there's no way of finding you and it could be a few weeks before they finally figure out what's happened mm. and then you've been in this general population part of the system And there's been no support because no one as part of that system has identified that there's a disability here because there was no one to stop everything and say, hang on a second, did you know that this person has a disability? And it would work much better if you could very much faster identify someone with with a disability and then there... There are some systems in there set up to support people. I mean, obviously not enough, not saying there is, 
but currently there are some things set up to support people with disabilities when they come into contact with the justice system, but they often don't get offered those things because no one identifies the disability is there. So to me, that's that's the number one spot to start. But anyway, <laughs> I'm interested yeah. to, to hear be interesting, more about it. Yeah, and to see what the impact, if the government establishes that Disability Rights Act, how the justice system will implement that will be um, a very big uh, area of interest for me, I think. Volume 9 is First Nations people with a disability. Um, and we know that we've got a long way there, a long way to go there. Talking about and- that, I have been listening to the First People's Disability Network podcast. And I think you all should look it up because it it is fantastic. And I've been, it's been really, really interesting to listen to it. And what they've been doing is talking to people with disabilities and providers who are Indigenous and talking about not just being Indigenous, which is often discriminated against, but also with a disability that is often discriminated against. So there's this double issue that they've got of being a minority of a minority. And it's it's just really interesting. And I think everyone should go listen to that as well as us, of course. Yeah. Let's uh, let's have a link on up in the description so we can just sort of get straight through there. That sounds like a great idea. Uh, so then volume 10, disability services. So that's a big one for the NDIS sector. We won't touch too much into that today because that's going to be a bigger one, a uh, bigger episode in a couple of weeks. And then volume 11 and 12. So then we've got the independent oversight and complaints mechanism. So that's speaking about a new commission that they're proposing um, and a few other things going on there. And then volume 12 will be on the Royal Commission. So what our, our next steps are in terms of uh, progressing disability rights and, uh, and inclusive within Australia. A couple of key implementation points. Uh, so the government's setting up a disability Royal Commission task force. Um, that's going to work across multi-departments and agencies to coordinate the government's response. So as you can imagine, it is a very big piece of work to go to go through the review, look at how our recommendations are going. So I wouldn't expect to see any um, big sort of movement too soon, but you'll probably, we'll start hearing smaller um, things that they're going to implement uh, trickling out over the coming months and then some probably some bigger pieces of work and acceptance of recommendations early next year. So the task force will include uh, staff uh, who are seconded from key portfolios. So we've got uh, health, education, attorney general's uh, department uh, and the national uh, NDIS team as well as commission who report through to uh, ministers and update on public uh, update to the public early next year as expected and the stages to respond to the recommendation sort of map and how they're going to roll that out with a total of 4.25 million over the next two years to undertake the important work that they're going to be doing. Cool. So that's pretty much the summary on the Disability Royal Commission. There's still a lot more that we're sort of got to probably progress, a lot more that we on our podcast that we'll probably be talking about as well. But the next sort of big piece is the uh, PACE updates that we've got going on. Yes. So PACE is still currently scheduled to start rolling out nationally on the 30th of October. So if you have a plan that starts 
after the 30th of October, it will be put on to PACE. Currently... So that's including reviews scheduled after that point too. Yeah. Currently, they've decided to increase the time of the rollout from 18 months to, well, they're saying three years, but I cross my fingers it won't take quite that long because three years seems a really long time to deal with two different systems. Um, (laughs) However, we do, there is a new website that the NDIS have put together that is purely about PACE and how it will affect different, whether you're a participant or a provider. So I think that's interesting and was needed. So that website is improvements.ndis.gov.au. Awesome. And that will also be, there will be a link in the episode description for you all. So have a look around that. It also has all of the webinar dates um, that you can sign up to to make sure you're across it as well. So Sam, there's more things coming out. There the are. NDIS We've got the review is review. due. Yes, and it will be released later on the end of this month. And um, as normal, we'll take some time to sort of process it, and then we'll um, bring you the bring you the latest out out as summaries on that. So, Sam, when is the NDIS review due out? Um, it'll be due, it's due out this month. So we're most likely expecting the end of the year, end of the month, sorry, not the end of the year. But yeah, we're, we're, there hasn't been really any early signs that there's going to be a delay in that. But we should probably know that with the Royal Commission coming out, uh, the NDIS review out and other changes happening within the sector, that we're going to be probably be seeing slow increment planning on how all of this sort of gets actualized over the next three, five years. So, which is a very exciting time for the industry and for people with a disability um, and the wider community. Mm, I'm excited. There is one thing that we need, in, indeed, there is one thing that we need to discuss and that has been brought up by a, a lovely listener who, who, who expressed that they were a bit worried about my absence not being on some podcasts all the time. Yeah. It's it's not because you don't love us or that I you know I don't love you. It's yeah. <laughs> cuz I love you. <laughs> Lots of love. We love all the love. Yeah. But yes, no. Unfortunately, I'm not always available. Um sometimes my consulting schedule conflicts with um us wanting to try and get out weekly. But yeah, uh, so that's kind of a bit of a why I'm not always on every podcast. But yeah, uh, doesn't mean I like don't love any more anyone else any less. <laughs> um, but yeah, so we'll have some um, new uh, upcoming podcasts. Um, we'll have some sessions on pace. We'll go through some of the volumes in a little bit more detail. There's a couple of other ideas we're talking about, Hannah. Yeah, so keep listening. Yeah, and if you want to um, come on the podcast, be a guest or have uh, sort of any topics that you'd like to hit us up to discuss, our email is... whatinthendispod at gmail.com. So, yeah, send us through some emails, reach out, give us some love as well. And, yeah, thanks for listening. Give us some love. Tell us us that we're doing a good job, please. (laughs) And um, hopefully we'll get our... uh, Facebook and socials up live very soon. So you can, we'll we'll let you know and you can follow us there as well.
You've been listening to What in the NDIS Now, a podcast brought to you by me, Hannah Redford, and my friend, Samuel Rosenbaum. (laughs) (laughs) Huzzah! Thank you for listening. Please share with people you know. Until next time, as the Green Brothers say, don't forget to be awesome.